Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Welcome to the BWI live show. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. Greg Pickle with me this week. Which means, you know, we're talking about a whole bunch of things because nobody can keep it all straight. But the guy who's closest to doing it is Greg Pickle. Greg, how are you doing tonight? T. Frank, a happy Tuesday to you and all the listeners as well. We are one week from the start of Penn State spring practice. And I don't know about all of you out there. I know you, T. Frank. I'm pretty excited to get the pads back on, see the new Penn State players on the field, see the returning Penn State players on the field. This is such a unique spring in the James Franklin era. I was thinking about it the other day, T. Frank, and this is not where the intro to the show was going to go, but let's take it there anyway. Do you realize that you and me and Nate and Sean were at the Lash Building last week for Penn State's winter workout max out event? Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, that is the first Penn State availability that we have been to without Sean Clifford since 2017 or 2018. And so, and again, wow. that's nothing against Sean Clifford, but just think about that for a second. Think about the change that this program is going through this offseason. Obviously, the quarterback yeah. position is one of the most talked about ones, but Sean Clifford was here for a long time, and he was the leader of this program for a long time. But now that he has moved on to try and make the NFL – there are a lot of storylines to talk about. Not all of them have to do with quarterback, but as always, and you, everyone listening knows this, all the time the conversation with college football typically starts at quarterback. And so we have a lot to talk about with spring football and everything else, but that is one thing that occurred to me that, you know, when you talk about program-changing moments or program-changing things, uh, that is one of them that is certainly going to be a big storyline for Penn State throughout the rest of this offseason. Yeah, it's not even just that he was there for a long time for uh, – I mean, he's almost on two presidential terms. Like, you start to to measure yourself in decades at that point. You start to feel like the weight of time passing when you think about that. That's crazy to at least right. not be in the building for those things. So, whew, we're off to a very existential start here on the BWI Live show. Greg, I did not expect that from you, but I love it. I love – normally I'm the one that's thrown curveballs here. Uh, on on the BWI Daily Edition or on the live show. But uh, if you are here to talk about Penn State uh, roster updates, spring practice preview, NFL Combine, or Big Ten Wrestling Championship, we got you covered on a whole bunch of things here on uh, the live show here on 
Tuesday night. I had to remind myself it's not Thursday. I almost said Thursday. Uh, if you want to, throughout the show, pop in with your thoughts, your questions about the topic, or maybe something off topic. I, I come up with a rundown of things we want to talk about today because I am paralyzed to be on camera without something to say. But really, the point of this show is to talk to you. And if you want to donate to the uh, BWI Daily Edition to the channel, that is super appreciated. It's the off-season. A lot of people are out of town. A lot of people are checking this out on replay. You can do that as super thanks as well. It's uh, below the screen, and you just put in the thing there if you want to donate to the channel. Um, you know, everyone, even in the off-season, is trying to keep the, uh, keep the tip jar full. So that's uh, very much appreciated if you do that today. And we will talk to you. We'll have your, uh, your comments live here on the show. Uh, let's get to our first topic, though, Greg, and that is the Penn State roster update, which we talked about on Friday, but we haven't had a chance really to discuss here on the show. So we are going to go through what we saw um, in terms of what we saw at Max Testing Day. We already covered that on Friday. Greg and I discussed those things. Uh, the roster numbers, what the what the output of all of that is, some of that stuff was shocking. So, Greg, where do you want to start with the Penn State roster? I know you were looking at the the offensive side of the ball and doing some of those numbers. Ryan was doing the uh, defensive side of the ball. You can check that all at bluewhiteillustrated.com. I did an analysis by class. Where did you start when you were looking at those numbers? What popped out to you? Well, so a couple of things. So I think the most important part, T. Frank, and you hit on this, I believe, in one of your analysis pieces, but this is not just weight gained from the end of the 2023 season in January 2nd to today. So this is stuff that has been going on, obviously, a little bit longer than that. Penn State updates its roster a few times a year. Uh, this is the first one, typically, uh, before spring practice, and then the second one comes prior to preseason camp, and then you don't really see another one uh, unless something drastic has changed uh, until spring practice rolls around the following year. So there could be plenty of changes, plenty of updates, a lot of guys working on their body throughout the season. And as soon as the season ends or during bowl practice and things like that. So I think that's an important qualifier as we start this conversation, because you're going to hear about tonight some some changes that guys have made T Frank that. I think when you hear some of the numbers, you're going to say, well, there's no chance that this player could have done that in seven weeks. And you'd be right. Uh, because, again, these updates don't always happen in uh, a timely fashion. It's just the way it works in college football, Penn State, and everywhere else. So, yeah. I mean, to me, a couple of things. Look, I mean, let's just throw on the offensive side of the ball. That's probably the easiest place to start. Uh, the quarterbacks all added some weight. Bo Prabula a little bit more than Drew Aller, but they both yeah. bulked up a little bit, which – if you go back to uh, Dwight Galt, when he used to talk about quarterback training, he was very specific about, excuse me, wanting to make sure those guys could hold up T. Frank throughout the yeah. entirety of a season and the hits that they would take. So they're always reshaping those guys a little bit from the weight they lost during the season or what have you to make sure they can hold up for yeah. a full year. And look, I mean, Drew Aller is going to be the starting uh, first team quarterback when spring practice begins. It's going to be a competition with Bo Perbola. Those of you that have followed along throughout the offseason know that Bo Prabula has had a tremendous offseason, and he's not going to let this fight go without a fight, so to speak. So, you know, both of these guys are balking up, and whoever wins the job, we think it'll be Aller, but you just have to wait and see how this whole thing plays out. Yeah. Uh, they're going to have to hold up for at least 12 games, if not 13, 14, 15 or more. So, you know, depending on where Penn State ends up in the college football playoff conversation, the Big Ten title conversation, all that. So I thought that was notable. Uh, yeah. Moving on to the running backs, I guess let's just stop there for a second. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the one thing that really jumped out to me there, T. Frank had nothing to do with the weights yeah. and everything to do with the fact that as of the start of spring practice, Penn State has two scholarship running backs. Now, <laughs> that's a great as I point. Wrote, as I wrote in, uh, we're going to be rolling out some spring position previews at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com throughout the rest of this week and early next week. But, you know, as I wrote in the, the running back preview, uh, you know, when you look at the two scholarship running backs they have, you are talking about two of the best scholarship running backs anyone in the country has. I mean, yeah. certainly in the Big Ten, but also They're definitely the going quality stats, over so. quantity here. Right. So, of course, Cameron Wallace and London Montgomery will be here later this year. London Montgomery coming off the ACL injury. I, I have a hard time envisioning that he will be ready to contribute significantly uh, this fall. 
you know, uh, Cameron Walsh. We'll have to wait and see if they get him any run or not. But all told, you only have two scholarship running backs there. Both of them added yeah. weight. Nick Singleton up nine pounds to 228. K. Tryon Allen up 17 pounds to 218. So, you know, these are two guys who have, again, been working on shaping their body, just like the quarterback, Steve Frank, to be able to hold up uh, to a lot of pounding. And unlike yeah. last year, where for at least the first four games, they had Kevon Lee to work in that rotation. Right now, uh, it's probably just going to be the two of them. Maybe you get a little bit a of power Holdsworth yeah. or Tank Smiths early in the year against some of the FCS opponents, what have you. But as far as I'm concerned, you're going to see those guys on the field, T. Frank, a lot. And because of can that, you get, Greg, they're adding can, some weight. Yeah. Can you get unders, like futures, this early on uh, carries or yards for Nick Singleton? It'd be nice if you could, those, yes. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, when you're looking at the, the rep counts – if you just want to slash anything that goes through Delaware, right? Just nobody's playing in that game, especially at the running back position. Right. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And so I, I think that you yeah, obviously you'll see those guys early, but there are a couple of chances on this schedule, UMass being another one, the second weekend of October coming out of the bye, where you'll be able to get these guys, you would assume, a little bit of a blow. But all told, yeah. I mean, yeah, for the majority of this season, unless one of those freshmen comes in and really pushes the pedal and – finds their way onto the field, these guys better be bulked up enough to be able to withstand the hits they're going to take. And based on the situation at running back right now, T. Frank, they're going to take a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, EJ asks, quick, uh, quick question here. Do you get more access to practice during the spring? Yes, 100%. We actually get to go to practice for our typical fall uh, media availability once a week. So we get kind of the same thing as during the season as it is during spring practice. So you can check out more bluewhiteillustrated.com if you sign up right now, $29.99 from now until the end of the season uh, or the end of the off-season start of the regular season. And you can get inside access to hear from our insiders who's standing out in practice because we get to see a certain percentage of practice. But, you know, we have connections. We have people that are all up in there and they know what's going on, but you only get that at bluewhiteillustrated.com. If you sign up for premium access, premium content articles, you can get my video breakdowns. You can get Greg's reporting. You can get Fitz and Ryan in recruiting all that stuff. Nate Bauer in basketball, his NIL stuff, Twenty nine ninety nine. We have the best collection of talent that covers Penn State football. You are getting a deal at that rate going into the football season. So, yes, we will have more from practice. And, of course, here on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel, James Franklin's weekly press conferences, I will be running with my video camera to be in the front row to make sure that you have the best audio and video that I could possibly get for you. Um, we mentioned running backs here when you're talking about guys that, that gained weight. What stood out to me was the offensive line. Uh, some guys made some moves. And this is an area, too, where you mentioned it's not all in one offseason season. But this is where you do get the recovery and rebound from. They, they weigh everybody, and I think they do all of this roster update at the end of the season uh, because you have to have the, the early enrollees, right? And you see a lot of deflated offensive linemen that have lost all that weight during the regular season. But then they, put, they, they pack on a good bit from that very moment they step off the scale until they're weighed again right before spring practice. And there were some big swings. Um, I'll go through some of my numbers in a second, but who stood out, who stood out to you? Well, so, yeah, I mean, I think or obviously what, I one, thing one thing I'll just note real quick, T. Frank, is that we had a comment from Dave Demposky, I believe. I hope I got your name right there about Corman Edwards being very good. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about the Michigan running backs, T. Frank, those two guys are 100 percent up there with Singleton and Allen. So certainly uh, a good spot out there by him. It's a very good uh, Big Ten running back contingent at the top. No question about it. But moving back to our, the conversation we were having here about the offensive linemen. So uh, David Williams, the freshman five-star from Reading, uh, packed on from 290 to 313 already. I thought yep. that was impressive. Alex Birchmeyer's approaching 300 pounds. Uh, so I thought that was good for him. Of course, J.B. Nelson uh, up a pretty good amount in terms of a guy who might compete for one of the guard jobs uh, in 2023. So I thought that was good. And I mean, yeah, when you look up and down the board here, I mean, there wasn't, uh, you know, Vega Ioni obviously got bigger. I mean, he looked like a monster. Caden Wallace got bigger yeah. based on what the listing says. So I thought he's had a really good winner. And I know that he has been a, a player that, that fans have often griped about. But everything I've heard and seen so far this offseason, it is going to be one of the best position battles. We wrote about it at Blue Illustrated on Monday. I can't remember which one of us did the offensive line. I think it may have been Sean. But uh, it is going to be one of the most impressive 
battles this offseason, T. Frank, between Caden Wallace and Drew Shelton for that yeah. right tackle job. Yeah. And they're both going to play. Oh, for sure. And when people ask, and I've, I've been very positive about the offensive line and all of these scenarios, because I find it hard to find a bad scenario unless everyone gets injured. Unless all of them get injured. Think about right. think about where they are right now. You are bringing back Caden Wallace and Olu Fashanu as your two starting tackles. And um, with no disrespect to Bryce, uh, to Bryce Hefner, because he was very good for Penn State, but from a talent and potential standpoint, your third tackle is now Drew Shelton. Your fourth tackle is uh, Jimmy Christ, a veteran, or that the, camp, the the competition there, too, with the young guys, Alex Birchmeyer, Javen Williams. Birchmeyer is the guy I think we've all kind of put our money on as the early favorite to to maybe make a move yeah. that is just think about a year ago where you were and you were concerned because you were you were a hair's breadth away from a true freshman having to play and again i'd say birchmeyer is a uh an upgrade as far as early returns than what drew shelton was a much more raw prospect coming in into college so it's just great. Like the whole situation seems like it's really, really good for Penn State football. These are the numbers that stood out to me. And I want to just run through a, a bunch of these because I thought they were illuminating. And then I'm going to ask you a question at the end of this. The total weight gain of the offensive line, 255 pounds put on this offseason. Basically, they got another football player spread out between 21 different young men. That averages out to be 12 pounds per lineman. Now, that's not exactly how it works, obviously. Averages are different. Uh, J.B. Nelson and some of the other guys that we'll get to here in a second um, put on more weight than other guys. Uh, but there are some huge offensive linemen now. Golden Achumba is in the 340s. Vega Yuwane, 352, like you mentioned. Uh, and then some of the guys that put on a lot of weight this offseason – uh, here are our biggest jump, jumps in weight in terms of weight gain added according to the roster. Golden Achumba uh, went up 26 pounds. That's not nothing. Caden Wallace, you mentioned a really good offseason. Uh, recovered from whatever injury he had during the season, 27 pounds. J.B. Nelson, back up to where he was originally um, when he committed to Penn State when we had him at Lackawanna at 330. A very different 330, though. So those numbers all all told. Is Penn State finally bigger in the trenches? Have they committed to this, or is this a situation of um, James Franklin's comments, which we've all latched onto and repeated a thousand times since the loss to Michigan? Is that a coincidence that this is just what happens this time of year? How do you read the offensive line progression? Yeah, I, I think it's probably more coincidence than anything else. I mean, look, it, it goes without saying that if you can bulk up your offensive linemen but still keep their foot speed and everything else, you're going to want to do it. So I think that plays a role here. But I also think there are some guys that are younger members of this roster that we've talked about in the past that we're going to have to gain weight, that we're going to have to continue to fill out their frame. And they've started to do that, or maybe they've completed doing that. Some of these guys will have to wait and see how the future results play out. But yeah, I mean, look, that Michigan comment is one that's going to be replayed over and over and over again until we reach a point where it feels like Penn State doesn't have to have that conversation anymore. But, you know, I do think that it was the perfect year for this kind of a thing to happen just because of the fact that there were so many guys younger in the program, like a vague Ione or a J.B. Nelson or an Alex Birchmeyer, Javen Williams, what have you, that – uh, we're going to fill out their frame. Then you have older guys like Caden Wallace who continue to progress and change their body and things like that. So, yeah, it doesn't shock me at all. I don't think it's a coincidence or I don't think it was some over change in the way they train players, especially offensive linemen. I just think it was the right setting at the right time and the right mix yeah. for these guys. So th that's my read on the situation. And obviously we'll see on the field how it plays out. But I think, you know, in support of that, Let's note that Hunter Norzad has not changed weight at all. He is still yeah. 312 pounds as he begins his move to center. So, you know, I think obviously there's a point to be made there that it's not like they made every offensive lineman do nothing but eat 7,000 calories a day while lifting 15 times a day. You know, yeah. uh, some of this stuff was just natural progression. It was bound to happen. Yeah, uh, this is what happens when you when you recruit high four-star players. 
So that's I think you make a great point about the coincidence and the lining up of all these things happening. They 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 ended up having some really good football players that had the room to grow. Some of them are veterans, right? So Caden Wallace is a veteran and and you know, there's a probably a lot of other things that go into these numbers that are more than just the plus minus. Yeah. Uh Michael is back. Michael McCollin asks and he donates to the channel. If you want to be like Michael, be a superhero, you can donate to the BWI Live Super Fund uh so that we can stay we can keep literally keep the lights on. Michael McCollin asks, besides what what wide receiver, what is Blue White Illustrated going to watch on 415 during the spring game? Who's the guy you want to see perform? Yeah, it's a good question, T. Frank. I mean, I think the first thing to note here is that without knowing how that game's going to be played, it's hard to sort of go down this road. So, of course, last year Penn State was short on the offensive line, so they did more seven-on-seven periods with some special teams work mixed in. By the way, I look at the roster, I don't see any reason to not be able to go back to the traditional blue-white game format. However, yeah. uh, James Franklin and his staff will get to find out when we talk to him next Tuesday during his opening news conference for spring practice. They may have liked that setting better. They may have got more out of that setting. And I think the hard thing to, rem- the hard thing to kind of weigh here from a fan perspective versus a team perspective is that is practice 15, and you only get 15 of them. And the blue-white game may not maximize what you want to get out of the 15th practice. I mean, right. it just a scrimmage in that setting, in a public setting, just may not maximize what you want to get out of it. So does the 7-on-7 special teams period format work better for the program, uh, even though it may not be as appealing to fans? I think that's a great question we're, getting, we're going to get to ask James Franklin. And obviously yeah. the answer to that will more shape how we want to see these guys in action. But look, yeah. I'm always there for the young guys, right? The newcomers. So Penn State had numerous early enrollees and guys that transferred in. I want to see what Storm Duck looks like in action. How does he compare to Johnny Dixon at cornerback? Yeah. I'm curious if Malik McLean, all of the offseason buzz we've heard about him translates to the game field. And again, another important thing to remember here, T Frank, and you've talked about it a lot here on the channel, is that this is one practice, it's one scrimmage. If Drew Aller goes 0 for 10, that doesn't mean there weren't five days he went 10 for 10 during live right. periods. But we tend, because we all can see it, to extrapolate too much out of that one practice and forget about the other 14 that the coaches and everybody else saw. So, you know, but I'm, I'm curious in him. And then obviously, you know, again, those young guys that came in, are any of them making a move like we saw members of the class of 2022 do a year ago during the spring game? that demonstrated to us that they'd be ready to play. Maybe not at the level all of them did, uh, especially a guy like Omari Evans, I think probably took a huge step forward by the time yeah. uh, the season rolled around compared to April. But who are those guys that are starting to showcase that this jump to the college level is not too big for them? Who are the guys that are showing that they're able to compete with guys who are two or three years older and stronger and more knowledgeable about the game than they are? And that always jumps out at the blue-white game. And then you have a couple walk-on guys, too, who might lift your eyebrows as well. So it, it's everything to me. I know that's a bit of a long cop-out kind of answer. There's not one guy I want to see, but it's always about the new guys to me. We know what yeah. Nick Singleton and Katrin Allen will go out there and do, right? We know what Chop Robinson is going to go out there and do. Kalen King. Uh, but there's a lot of guys who we're going to see more of for longer stretches than what we have in the past. And that always fascinates me to see what exactly those guys look like in that environment. It's the look you say it right there. It's the looks like game. So what did all of this winter conditioning Mm -hmm. do? How do they look? Does the offensive line look as big as they seem? Um, You know, the individual players to me, like I want to see Vega. I want to see how he moves. You know, I I don't know that he's going to be 252 the or 352. I can't even say it right because it's such a crazy number. 352 pounds. And uh, and, you know, having like having been up close to him a couple of times, the, the lifting session. And then I attended an MMA event where he was he was working with a local MMA instructor, which, by the way, you can learn more about that coming up tomorrow on the BWI Daily Edition when I sit down with Bruce Lombard and we discuss that the offensive line, how he treat how he trains them. Uh, in hand fighting and how he developed his MMA FX program. All that coming up tomorrow on the Daily Edition. But seeing him up close, he moves really well. And I want to see that in pads. I want to see him be a football player and do all that stuff. You know, and like just going back to the looks like game. Uh, we'll get to some of this stuff in a minute with the linebackers that I want to talk about, but what does that look like? I'm always the one that's going to get caught up in the small sample size of you're running basic coverage shells 
and I'm going to be like, oh, here's this new thing from Manny Diaz that he's definitely showing on film. It's it's definitely not going to happen. So you got to take away the individual things more so than kind of broad things, unless there's something obvious, right, Greg? Like the receivers are all bad and things look ugly and disjointed. Then you can say, okay, well, they've got to get that fixed before next season. But for the most part, it's individuals. It's it's stuff like that. Uh, Right now, though, what we got to get to is we got to talk about today's sponsor on the show, the premier sponsor, the headline sponsor of the BWI live show on Tuesday. That is RogueShop.com. RogueShop.com is a husband and wife outfit of uh, cannabis farmers who specialize in small batch plant medicine, a true holistic style of small business where they want to get you um, products that help your life now, we're not, it's not just about having fun and giggling. It's about if you have chronic pain, you have stress, you have anxiety, things like that that inhibit you from living a full and happy life. Um, as a veteran, this is something that's very serious to uh, Richard, the founder of Rogue Shop, where he's helped, he, he wants to, his mission is to help um, veterans especially who have problems with anything that you come out of the army with, anything that you come out of, um, the military with, whether it's pain, anxiety, mental issues, anything like that. These are uh, supplements that can help you live a better life. For me, what I've used is the Delta 9 gummies because I can't sleep very well. Um, I have a, a very individual type of brain that doesn't really shut down. So what's helped me sleep, especially, and I got to get some more, by the way. I ran out and I haven't slept well this week. Uh, I don't know if you can, t- you can see, Greg, the bags under my eyes. But uh, this is, these are the things that can help you live a better life, and that's really the point. So use promo code BWI for 10% off at RogueShop.com to help you do those things. Whatever you may need, they're there to help you, and they will tell you how to take this stuff so that you don't uh, make mistakes like I did, even though they told me how to use it. And I, I still made some, some weird mistakes. We'll talk about that on, on the postgame show. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, we mentioned the offensive line. The offensive line got much bigger. The defensive line did not. So, like, if we're talking about is this an intentional thing for Penn State to uh, get bigger on both lines of scrimmage, n- not for the defense. Multiple guys lost weight. Multiple guys were, uh, you know, down from their, their prescribed uh, season weights. But one group that I want to talk about is the linebackers because this is just an interesting group of young guys that you mentioned uh, getting bigger, but also some different changes in, in weights. So let's get to that right now, and then we'll discuss that after uh, I get you the information. So Abdul Carter made a big jump as a young guy who had the room to grow, despite being 235 pounds when he got to Penn State. 250 pounds, basically, 249. Um, then you have Curtis Jacobs, who last season, coming out of lifting out of this part of the year, was 227. He's now 235. He's put on more weight since his, uh, the end of last season. And then finally, the young guy, Tony Rojas. Um, his first time through the winter workouts as an early enrollee, 214 pounds. Generally, most of the linebackers got bigger. Some guys got smaller. I think there's some other stuff going on there. But last year, the linebackers got a little bit smaller. This year, they're getting bigger. Is that intentional? Because to me, I see this as more intentional than the offensive line. Yeah, I think, again, it just goes back to when you look at Abdul Carter, he's a guy that we talked about on last Friday's show, T. Frank, had a weight room in his living room, in his family yeah. home. I mean, he is a guy who was always going to put more weight on. There was a reason that it, at one point, way back when, there was wonders if he would grow into a defensive end. I don't think that's going to happen, but... Well, know, he's 250. His, he's there. He's bigger he's than there, he's yeah, Isaac. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, when you look at his frame, certainly... Um, you know, he carries 250 a lot better than I carry 200. There's no doubt about that. So that's not saying much, of course. But, uh, you know, when you You're look 200? at 200, yeah, a little bit over, um, believe it or not, unfortunately. I need to but, lose some weight then. 
but when you look at uh, T Frank, when you look at uh, you know the linebackers there, I think there was some intentional changes being made here, some plans being made to have these guys on the field more. It goes back to our running back conversation. Yeah, and you've talked about this a lot. Penn State was at its best defensively, and I'm not saying they're only these are the only two linebackers that are going to play, and you're going to cast Tyler Elston and Kobe King and Keon Wiley and anybody else to the side. But at the same time, uh, you, Penn State had its best last year when those two guys were on the field often yep. together. And so I think some of this weight change has to do with the ability for them to be able to play uh, the positions they need to play to make that a reality. So I think that's something to keep in mind in that conversation. But when you talk about the defensive line, uh, I was kind of taken aback by that a little bit, the numbers there, because there's one guy over 300 pounds right now, and it's yep. Caleb Ortiz. And he obviously did not play last year for Penn State. So the question just becomes, where does your run-stopping defensive tackles come from? Or, a theory too, do you still need 300-pound, 315, 325-pound defensive tackles to stop the run in the Big Ten? We're going to see. Because uh, yeah. obviously Penn State is at a point now, T. Frank, where they can't magically make somebody 315, 325 pounds. Just yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. So you better be able to devise a way to stop the run without that big plugger like a PJ Mustafer in the heart of your defense. And, you know, Manny Diaz and James Franklin and, and everyone else on this staff and whoever the defensive line coaches they eventually hire, which still isn't done, uh, has plenty of experience having to deal with different personnel issues. So I have no doubt that they will be able to make the adjustments needed. But it is a glaring thing when you look at the defensive line numbers uh, that that person doesn't exist. And then also you have some linebackers that are bigger uh, who probably are going to have to deal with more tackling of running backs to get through those holes that are created up front. Yeah, and the I struggle with this because the the goal should be to be as big and as physical as possible while being as athletic as possible. The and, and they have unique talents up front. Zane Durant is a unique talent. Right. I still, you know, from our conversation on Friday, I think Jordan Vandenberg can be a guy that is a run disruptor. But you always want to have a guy who is six foot three, 315 pounds with 34-inch arms. You want to have that. They don't right. have that on the roster. Caleb Artis is the one guy that, that has that size, but does he have that game? And in many Diaz's defense specifically, they don't play, you know, re reviewing some of the film this year, they don't play one tech, three technique. They, they last season, what they did is they, uh, for the most part, from what I observed, it was more left and right. So you cycle in guys based on who's on the depth chart. So he's done this in the past as well, where you have, you don't have a guy of that size because his defense is so much about speed it's so much about being in the right gap and being aggressive and being athletic but the goal is always to have a guy that does that at 310 pounds to 315 right. pounds you just you you need to recruit that and that's the offensive line the defensive line you see the difference so far a couple quick things and i want to get to something that was on your mind that you brought up that i i, uh, I forgot to put on the rundown james says late to the party i see major general t frank R back up for his campaign i need to get an old-timey civil war hat i need to get a union hat because uh, it does like the the lumberjack vibe is going on strong so if we're pivoting to civil war general I'm all for it. I just need to have the right gear for it. Uh, and Michael, who, if you can't see on his thumbnail, has a beard that looks like my beard's father, says appreciation donation for Steven and for the beard. The beard is the most popular thing on the show. And, and that's going to be the thing that's going to be its downfall, Greg, is that it's taking away from me. The beard cannot be bigger than me. Literally, it's growing out of my face. So we might have to do something about that, but we'll see. Like It's, it's here until it gets too hot. Right. Beard aside, you were mentioning you want to talk about the defensive line coach situation. Do you have an update? What's going on with, with that situation? Two actual well, yeah. things to talk about. Yeah, I just wanted to buzz through that quickly, T. Frank, because over the weekend, Football Scoop reported that Justin Hines, the Chicago Bears' current defensive line coach, was the target of Penn State and James Franklin's search for a defensive line coach. That week, uh, that report was walked back before the weekend was over on Sunday night. They said that Justin Hines was going to stay with the Bears. So as we move into uh, the final days and hours, literally before spring practice, uh, as we talk on Tuesday, March 7th at 7.30 Eastern time, uh, no defensive line coach in place yet for Penn State. So I think the question many people want to know is, will this be resolved by the end of the week? 
I mean, my gut says yes. There's no it's doubt. It's got to be. It. I was expecting uh, it pretty soon. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, my gut says there's no doubt about it. But here's the one thing I would caution. And that is let's not all forget the great David Corley saga where Penn State brought him in and then all of a sudden Jaywan Sider became available. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, oh wait, we can't pass up Jaywan Sider, which obviously that's been a really good decision. Uh, but then you have David Corley, who was going to have to be moved to a role that he wasn't hired for. And he is now, I don't know if everyone's really aware of this. I looked it up the other day because I look up weird things like this. But uh, he is now uh, a coach with the Pittsburgh Steelers, coaching quarterbacks with the Steelers. So he has landed on his feet and is doing quite well. But, uh, you know, I, I, that's the one thing I would caution is that the calendar does control your decision making. Yeah. However, if you think there might be somebody out there who's going to be moving around that you just have to wait a little bit longer for, there are ways to get through spring practice and be able to move forward without a defensive line coach. Now, do you want to do that? No. And do I think yeah. Penn State's going to do it? No. However, if it would get to that point, I would just caution that that story, I think, is a good one to remember in the sense that, you know, the person you may be waiting for may be right around the corner and you just may not know it yet or their contract may not allow it yet or things like yeah. that. So we'll see how this all plays out. Again, I would assume this is going to be wrapped up by the end of the week, probably late Friday, just because that's the way these things tend to work. And yeah, uh, T Frank, I'll just tell you now: if you need someone to do a breaking news video late Friday, it will not be available. But I, um, I figured yeah. the happy hour starts five, and that is a hard <laughs> that is a hard contractual <laughs> obligation. But <laughs> excuse me, but yeah, so you know, I think at this point uh, we'll see this wrapped up before long. And, you know, Penn State, obviously, uh, you know, many people know that Deion Barnes is on staff and we'll see if Penn State ultimately decides to promote him or if they go outside of the organization. But, you know, these the everyone wants I think it's probably the most common question we get on the, the Blue, Blue White Illustrated message board right now is any news on DL coach, any news on the search. And I think Sean Fitz put it best the other day when the, the search committee is James Franklin and only James Franklin. It is a very tightly held yeah. uh, information wheel. So you're not going to hear a lot. The Justin Hines thing coming out surprised me. I did not see that coming, but obviously that didn't last more than, I don't know if it made it 24 hours. I was too busy watching wrestling. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just think that we're going to find out before the weekend. I, I do feel pretty good about that. And whoever the, the choice is, assuming that happens, oh, they're going to have to be ready to get in here and get off yep. and running because yep. – Recruiting visits are going to obviously start coming. Spring practice is here, and they're going to have to, to, to take off and start running. So if it's Deion Barnes, obviously a very easy transition. If it's somebody yep. outside of the program, they're going to have to work quickly and efficiently to get that person caught up, not just with Manny Diaz's preferences, but also that coach's preferences and how they yeah. can best blend with Manny Diaz's. So a lot of work to be done here for Penn State. It is spring break. It is the kind of last uh, – Last breath, so to speak, before the grueling spring practice time begins. But there's going to be no rest for the weary. Rest for the weary, weary rather. Easy for me to say when it comes to that. So you mentioned Dion Barnes. I think he's going to be a pivotal figure in this, no matter who is hired, whether it's him or somebody else. Because I imagine just the 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 institutional knowledge that he has is going to be invaluable to whoever the next person is, and retaining him as an analyst and making sure that. Through this transition, if he isn't the guy, he still remains a valuable member of the staff. I, that's right. all critical, so that you not not just with uh, the the players on the roster. Let's just start there for a second, knowing what they're good at and what they need to be, what they need to work on. Barnes knows that stuff. The new guy is going to have to learn that during spring practice. Um, so huge benefit there. On the recruiting trail, they talked about that yesterday on the BWI Daily Recruiting Show. You can check that out here on YouTube after this show um, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you like and subscribe and all that great stuff. Helps us out a lot, just like the Super Chats. All the interaction you can give us is great. So that all, the, 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 all of those things, the longer you go, the harder it is going to be and the, the more grinding it's going to be for that guy to get caught up in time. So there is not a timeline, but there is um, time element in this whole in this whole recruiting process because you, it's not the worst time in the world from what I've heard from our experts. But at the same time, you do need to make a decision. Something needs to happen. And I think James Franklin is more than aware of any of that stuff. Um, last thing I want to get to. I'm going to circle back to the linebackers because you you mentioned this and, and you probably 
put a bow on this, but just when something gets stuck in my brain, I just want to make sure I say it out loud. Curtis Jacobs being 235 pounds. I went back and I looked at some of the decisions um, that came out of spring practice or winter conditioning last year. And talking to him here on the BWI Daily Edition, he talked about how um, size is not relevant once you're a certain level of athlete. Everyone mm-hmm. needs to be able to run, and uh, you, 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 if you, basically, he's big enough. Was the conversation? What's the change now? You know, I'd love to know that conversation. Is that something again for Manny Diaz, or is it positionally where? Is Penn State going to use Abdul Carter more at the mic? At 249 pounds, he's getting bigger anyway. But as a as a senior, Curtis Jacobs, that's a decision. Um, that's what, the way it looks to me. So is that more to, to shift those guys to the box? It certainly provides versatility. And I think last year playing both positions, that could not have been easy for Curtis. Right. So now that uh, take one thing off his plate, make him physical enough to play in the box where he doesn't have to think about how to win that way. And I think that that to me says more position versatility, but that knock on effect is Carter going to the mic. Like I just keep looking at that and I just keep thinking Carter's going to play more Mike this year. Like you said, doesn't mean that, uh, that Tyler Elsden and Kobe King are out of the picture. It just means that you're going to see more guys mixing into the in positionally than we saw before um so i just i think that is a big indicator for me coming out of this that's the number one thing i've been thinking about other than uh what i wrote about with the class of 2022 and they're all just crazy athletes like it's crazy what they've been able to do yeah no doubt about it t frank i think what really catches my eye about that linebacker situation is that tyler elson actually dropped some weight he's down around 225 right now and kobe king's up some weight he's up around 250 right now so close yep. to where carter is so I'm not sure what that means. I saw Tyler Ellison in the weight room. He definitely looks like he's thinned out a bit. So, yeah, there may be some more mixing and matching going on for Penn State uh, this season, and that could be, uh, and I, again, something that Manny Diaz probably picked up on last season in terms of being able to best maximize the, the what his guys do best, right? Yep. I mean, this is a That's sport a great point. that at the end of the day, your job as a coach is to get your strengths on the field as much as possible, and it doesn't matter how you do it or what combinations you need to use to do it, you just need to do it. And so for Penn State at this linebacker spot, I think we're going to see some different things in 2023 than what we saw in 2022, and that's the benefit of having a year-over-year coordinator. When you're not moving coordinators out or position coaches out for the most part year after year, uh, you're able to do some things and see some things and build on some things that you just can't possibly do if you're changing systems and coordinators and whatever you know everything else uh, frequently. It's also about... Manny Diaz going through the Big Ten as well, not just knowing his players, but reacting to a new conference and to the style of play. And did he learn and grow himself? And I think that's a part of it too, but specifically he talked a lot about matchups last year and playing different groupings based on matchups. And if, if, if he learned some lessons there about what to expect, then is this a product of it? These are the, I'm bursting with questions to ask people that they definitely aren't going to answer. And they don't want to tell me because that's uh, part of their, uh, their secret sauce, about what they're going to do next year. Let's talk about the guys that are leaving quickly, uh, going on to the NFL. NFL combine was also this weekend, along with the wrestling championships. I took that one for the most part. Like I was watching and and you can check out all the information at blue illustrated.com. I'll get your thoughts quickly, and then I'll kind of give my rundown of what happened for the Combine. Is there anything that you were able to glean from what you saw and what you uh, saw reported about Penn State's seven players at uh, in Indianapolis? Yeah, I'll be completely honest, Steve Frank. I was pretty well focused on the Big Ten Wrestling Championships last weekend during the Combine. But what I will say is this, is that, and I know you're going to get into this here in a second, so I won't belabor the point, but this was not a year where unlike many years past Penn state had, or like rather many years past Penn state had one or two guys that just stole the show from a testing standpoint. And they didn't have one of those this year. And you can only need to take one uh, skip across the internet pond, so to speak, to see that. I mean, there's a lot of top testing, top performers, stock yeah. up, stock down guys out there. And I don't see any of the Penn state guys listed in the stock up for the most part. I mean, I think a lot of people are fine with what Jerry Porter Jr. accomplished, and that's solidified him yep. as a first-round pick. But yep. other than that, I don't see a lot of them in the stock-down category either. It's just kind of like a ship passing in the night. I mean, I know you have a couple guys that are probably stock down. I think that Jair Brown probably 
I don't want to say cemented himself as a day three pick, but going into the combine, I thought he could have tested his way into a more likely day two pick. And there's just nothing I saw or have read or heard from reporting or anything that indicates to me that that's going to be the case or that is the case. So maybe he turns it all around at Penn State Pro Day. And maybe we're having a different conversation three or four Tuesdays from now, whenever that is. I don't have the day off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, that was probably the big thing to me that – in years past, you've had guys from Penn State who have solidified their draft stock and or improved it. And I'm not terribly sure that was the case here outside of maybe Juve Scruggs uh, this time around. This was one of my most disappointing uh, performances because I thought it could go either way. I- I've said for a while before the Combine, I have questions about Tig Brown's speed. What is his long speed? It's not brisker. You know, I think that's pretty clear from watching them play similar roles that Jaquan Brisker, the reason he was a second round pick and why I thought he was a first round pick was he had NFL speed with the size. Tig is on the smaller side. He's stockier. He's more uh, compact. But the my question was, can he run up in the four fives? If he can run in the four fives, his tape is great. And, and I think the backslide is going to be stopped by the fact that he was so versatile and he does so many things so well, high intelligence, high effort, all that great stuff. But he's small for a safety, 5'11", 31-inch arms. That is not good, especially with a 4'6", 5'40", yard dash, which means that's not a free safety. You know, he's playing in the box at that point. But if you have 31 inch arms and you're playing as a box role player, are are you going to be able to tackle? You know, arm length is not just about being in the passing lane. It's about being able to wrap up and, and tackle people. He's had some issues tackling and underneath coverage last season. He improved, um, but there's a lot of shoestring tackles. And the NFL shoestring tackle is now a missed tackle. Vertical, 32 and a half. Not a whole lot of explosiveness there. So all of these things are well below average and in the bottom half. So it wasn't just the 40 time. It was the other testing metrics, his size. Um, I love his film, and I think he's a great guy. I really want him to be successful. I think he has the skills mentally and, and some of the instinctual things at the position to play in the NFL. But if you don't have – these are the reasons why you go to the Combine to find this information out and to verify – some of the concerns you might have on film. So to me, that was the biggest faller of the group was that uh, on a day when none of the safeties were being great, he was in the bottom half of those guys. Um, But he wasn't the guy that fell the farthest. I thought for Tinsley, he had the opportunity, if he had a good day himself, to work his way maybe into a late-round pick. But again, big-bodied guy that doesn't have a lot of explosiveness and his speed. Brendan Strange almost ran the same 40 time. If you're big and you're not fast, and you don't have explosiveness or separation, and you're just a good route runner with good quickness in the short area, uh, the, the special teams. Like, that's where you that's where you have to make your name, um, and that's maybe it. And even then, on special teams, you want great athletes there, too, to run and to hit in space. And then, of course, P.J. Mustafer. Um, I was a little bit shocked, P.J. Mustafer's performance. Um, you know, the, the, if you want to check out my articles on this stuff, bluewhiteillustrated.com, about, I, I used just as a shortcut so I didn't have to write everything out, the relative athletic score from Kenley Platt. Um, and those things are super helpful because, first off, they have all of the things there broken out by agility, explosiveness. But PJ Mustafer had an all time bad combine, like historically bad. And th- other than his, his size and his length, there wasn't a whole lot there that showed he can play in the NFL. And again, smart player. Go back to the 22 film. He's very disruptive. He's very uh, mobile for a guy his size. He's able to to beat blocks and get into position. But based on those testing metrics, he would be an extreme outlier of guys that have made it in the NFL with that profile. And we are far enough away that I was expecting him to have some sort of rebound, bounce-back effect from the knee injury. No medical information here, personally, of how bad was it? Is this a long-term effect of that? He's never been an elite athlete as, as, a, as a defensive tackle, but I did not think it was that bad. And that is really unfortunate for a guy that, again, you get to know these guys, Greg, and I know you know this, and this is like the first time we can kind of root for them when they're not a part of the Penn State uh, you know, uh, roster. And, and to see kind of these poor performances was a huge bummer uh, for, for all of those guys that I mentioned as far as the stock fallers. 
Guys that did have a good day, though. And this is where it's like they had a good day, and what they did was they solidified their um, uh, a day three pick. I think Bretton Strange did himself uh, favors. He looked really good. Now, there are some questionable things in, in his testing numbers, but overall, you watch the way he runs, the way he moves. He's not an inline tight end. So if you're comparing him to the Sam Laportas and the George Kittles at the next level and Travis Kelsey's, that's not going to be his job. He's going to be an H-back or an F somewhere in there. Um, and for that role, he's pretty good. I, the arm length was an issue again for him, but overall moved well. I would, If he had run a little bit faster, I think that would have maybe made him a fourth-round pick. Uh, but as it is, it solidified him as a draftable player that you want to have in the new positionless NFL. guy that can block, can catch, can move. Um, a lot of the elements that he brings to the table, he was one of the better blockers there too. A lot of guys couldn't move the sled. He was one of the two guys that could move the sled. And then the last guy that you mentioned, Juice Scruggs. Juice Scruggs at center was good athletically. The testing numbers were all good. Again, great length, great size. Thought he might be a little bit heavier, but he's shown that he can play a little bit heavier. And then you look the way he moved. He was not... The, you know, he's not a star of the combine, so they're not going to highlight him. But go back and watch his testing drills and compare them to guys that they're they're lauding, the Cody Mocks and all those guys. Looks the same. And if you are talking about value, and this is my stump speech for uh, my favorite team or your favorite team to draft Juice Scruggs. A center who performed very well in the Big Ten has the size, the frame, and the athletic testing to be a good starter in the NFL. Most guys are more like Juice Scruggs than they are like Broderick Jones and the guys that blew up the combine every year. You have those guys, and and the majority of offensive linemen are solid athletes that are smart and play the game well. If you get him as a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick, and he eventually becomes a starter, that is called value. And if you're not paying $10, $15 million for a veteran ahead of him and he's providing the same value as a quality starter, you now have money to spend elsewhere. So Juice Scruggs, to me, solidified himself as a valuable player on his next team because he proved to me that he can start with, with what we saw from the athletic numbers. And it's just about finding the right system and the right fit for him to maximize that potential. And if you can't tell, I want a certain team in Western New York to take a, a, an idea of maybe lightening the cap and, and getting Juice Scruggs. That's it for that. Penn State, another Big Ten wrestling championship for the... the um, postseason how did this go down four individuals were crowned uh, i always ask this, this is a terrible setup question where do you want to start what's the position uh, of this conversation that you want to go to to illustrate this particular postseason championship well i mean again i think it was probably the quintessential uh kale sanderson coach tournament right penn state racked up bonus points and advanced uh to the finals or at least to the third place match through the consolation bracket at numerous weight classes and that's what's going to lead you to a Big Ten conference title and the national title. And I think that, you know, the big takeaway for a lot of people was Levi Haynes winning his first 157-pound uh, Big Ten title as his uh, for freshman year uh, continues uh, almost completely unbeaten, unbeaten against Big Ten foes. He only had one loss earlier this year to a non-collegiate foe. So uh, he keeps rolling right along. He uh, beat the number one seed Peyton Rube of uh, Peyton Rob rather of Nebraska uh, in the finals with a tremendous sudden victory takedown. And, uh, his season keeps pumping along. So it's funny about two months ago at this time, we were talking about whether they were not, they were going to burn his red shirt. And now he's a big 10 champ. So that was a big takeaway for a lot of people. T Frank, you know, obviously, you know, your, your main guys performed as expected. Max Dean, Greg Kurtfleet, not doing so to this, as I, to some extent, uh, both of those guys losing in the finals, but all told it was a good tournament for Penn state. It's a tune up. I mean, Kale Sanderson said as much two weeks ago before this tournament uh, kicked off that, this is a qualifier for nationals and it's an opportunity to put yourself in the best seating position possible for nationals. And so, yeah, you want to win a big 10 title. Yes. Penn state wants to win a big 10 championship, but guess what back, you know, when they start training for next year in June of this year, whatever it might be, uh, the goal is always NCAA team championship, NCAA individual championships and NCAA mm -hmm. all Americans. So, your results here, again, play a factor in that, but it is not the final chapter that is written in the book of your season. And so I thought it was a pretty successful tournament for Penn State. The Lions lose. Gary Steen, of course, he did not qualify for the NCAA tournament. So only nine starters are now going to Tulsa, Oklahoma next weekend for the NCAA championships. But 
Uh, pretty much as expected. Again, a couple of guys probably finished a little bit lower than we thought they would, but they all uh, all qualified for nationals. And at the end of the day, that's what you were in uh, Michigan to do, was to qualify right. for nationals. So you may have made your path a little bit more challenging. You may have put yourself in a position where you got to face some better wrestlers than you'd prefer earlier in the tournament. But all told, T. Frank, uh, I think things went as expected, as planned, and as hoped for, for the most part, for Penn State in winning uh, their first Big Ten title since 2019. I apologize. I went. I was doing some administrative stuff behind the scenes, so I apologize if you covered this already. Um, I know you were pretty high on Alex Facundo this year. Uh, he did not uh, place in the top three in the Big Ten tournament. Were you surprised by that? How did that go down, and what does that mean for him going forward? Is he one of the guys you mentioned just now about having to maybe face tougher wrestlers in the NCAAs because of his seeding? So how, how did all that work out, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, him and Shane Van Ness, both are redshirt freshmen who were competing in the Big Ten tournament for the first time, did not end up making it to the finals. Uh, you know, obviously, I think that both of those guys have some work to do. There's a couple of guys on this roster, T. Frank, that have some work to do, even the ones that won championships. I mean, I think that, you know, there are a few guys, and Facundo's one of them, Shane Van Ness is one of them, Max Dean is one of them. Uh, you know, they have to create more from the standing neutral position. So, you know, they're not able to rely as much anymore at this point in the season as they were maybe earlier in the year on being able to start on top at the second period or third period and then tilt guys or, or get them in a bow and arrow for max team, what have you uh, to get pinning combinations and falls and, and near fall points, things like that. You have to be able to create offense from neutral. And I think the, you know some of these guys struggled to do that consistently, especially as the competition ramped up on, on Saturday and Sunday. The good news T Frank is that, in a lot of ways, and we've heard Big Ten wrestlers talk about this for years, and it sounds like it's arrogance, but to me it's really not. Uh, the Big Ten tournament, in a lot of respects, can be more difficult to win than yeah. nationals. I mean, just it's a proven fact over the years. And now obviously you're going to run into some fantastic, fantastic wrestlers from across the country at the NCAA tournament. But, I mean, all you got to do is just go pull up the seeds when they come out on Wednesday, March 8th at 8 p.m., on NCAA.com, go pull those up and take a look at who is seated where and what conference they are from. You're going to find a lot of the top guys all come from the Big Ten. So that doesn't mean there's not guys out there that are going to be easy to beat because there's going to be guys that are very good, guys from other conferences who are top seed, so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, you get your feet wet in the Big Ten tournament or if you're some of these guys who have been there before, you know what you're getting into – and you're tuning up to be at your peak performance level for the national tournament. So do I think Penn State, for the most part, got there this weekend or took a step toward getting there? Yes. Now you just got to go do it one more time. Kale Sanderson says it relentlessly, is that they will put their wrestlers or help put their wrestlers in the best position they think they can put them in. But guess what? When you're out there on that mat and you strap on a green or a red anklet, it's all about what you can do and what you're willing to do and able to do and things like that. There's no coach that's helping you at that point, yeah. unless he's throwing a challenge brick. So, you know, it's about what these guys are capable of going out and doing. And I think that, again, they did make steps in a good direction this weekend, up and down the lineup, other than obviously uh, not having Gary Steen alive in the 125-pound weight class anymore. But, uh, you know, again, it's one thing to say that you made those steps. It's another thing to put them in action in uh, the national tournament. So we'll see. I think they feel good about where they're at. Obviously, they'll be considered a favorite going into it, and time will tell if they can make it uh, turn into another NCAA championship again. If you've got a question here, we're wrapping up the BWI live show. Just a couple more minutes. Got a couple more questions here for Greg about the NCAA tournament. Get your questions in uh, now, and then uh, hopefully we'll get to them by the end of the show if there's something that pops up that uh, you know is relevant to the conversation. How is a stupid question here? I always preface, it's like, I'm going to ask you a stupid question, but it's probably on the minds of a lot of people, but it's also something that there might be something that re is revealed from it. Is this another strong chance at another national title? Have they put themselves in the best chance possible? And do they have the seeding and everything to brewing to make it, I don't want to say easy, because it's obviously not easy, but is this the best path possible for them to get to another national title based on what's happened so far? 
Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think when you break down, and we'll be able to do it again tomorrow night and throughout the rest of the week at BlueWayIllustrated.com once the NCAA releases the full brackets. But, yeah, I just look across the national landscape, and as is the case most years going into the NCAA tournament, not every year. I mean, let's keep in mind, I think anyone that has followed this program has been spoiled a bit in the sense that they have often done it by a large uh, – yeah. the final result has usually been pretty convincing. But let's not forget, a lot of those convincing results come because Penn State goes 4-for-4 four four in the finals or 5-for-5 five five in the finals, and they're trailing entering the final round or they're up by a couple points entering the final round. And then they beat a Michigan guy. They beat an Iowa guy. They beat an Ohio State guy, whatever it might be, and that solidifies the team title. But it, the final score does not always – uh, is not always indicative of the hard work that it takes to get there, not only from guys getting bonus points in consolation matches and they can't win a national title, but they can move into the All-American race and things like that. But, you know, just simply racking up those points throughout the three days, uh, it goes a long way. And there could be a pin that everyone forgot about or a technical fall that everyone forgot about back on Thursday in the first round. And if you went back and did the math, that might be the only reason Penn State wins a team title. So with all that said, I think you're set up or should be set up uh, once the brackets come out to have the seeding advantages needed to win another Big Ten title to get the kind of bonus points needed to win it again. But, you know, at the same time, again, there were some things in the Big Ten tournament we saw that, you know, do need to be improved upon if they want to score as many points as possible and have as many All-Americans and national champions as possible. So there's some work to do for sure, T. Frank, but I like where they're at entering uh, this stretch of a week here before they head out to Tulsa and get ready for that. So specifics here, they had four uh, wrestlers that, that had Big Ten individual champions. Uh, how many do you see getting national champion uh being into that final uh, bout and and winning it. How many how many uh, national titles do you think they have individually on on the roster? I'm going to go with five, and I think that that I, I think that the four that won uh, should win again at nationals. I do strongly feel that way. Uh, Levi Haynes at 157 is probably the one people are going to say could run into some issues, but I'm just not convinced that's the case. I think he's going to go in as number one seed, deservedly so, and win. Uh, you know, he's just been on a mission all year long, and I don't see Roman Bravo Young, Carter Starachi, or Aaron Brooks not defending their title. So there's your four, and your fifth is going to have to come almost certainly from Max Dean or Greg Kirkfleet. Max Dean's a defending NCAA champion. Greg Kirkfleet's been on the cusp of being able to do it, has not been able to beat Mason Paris consistently or, or Tony Cassiope consistently enough yet to do it. But, you know, we'll see. I, I think they get four, and I, and I think, or I'm sorry, I think they get five. I think it's the four that won the Big Tens plus Max Dean. I would love to pick Greg Kirkfleet. It won't shock me if he ends up winning this whole thing, but he has just been one step behind his main competitors so far, and I think that probably continues at the national tournament. But he's close, and it will not shock me at all, T. Frank, if he somehow finds a way to win. It also won't shock me if Max Dean's not the champion at 197. But I'm going to go with five right now, and I think of your nine guys going there, you should have eight All-Americans at least, possibly a total of nine. But we'll see. I, I think one of those guys probably doesn't hit the All-American top seven, but we'll find out. Uh, we will, depending on the schedule, we'll see if we get a, a return visit from Greg to recap all this stuff. But if not, I just want to say that I, I've I've enjoyed this year learning more about wrestling and uh, understanding. We are now sitting at the end of that conversation, Greg, and I knew what you were talking about. So that's pretty good. That's nice. that's one year's worth of work of me uh, uh, being on the wrestling beat for a little bit and, and kind of getting a little bit into the wrestling scene. So hopefully we'll have more coverage for you. Definitely. Absolutely. At bluewhiteillustrated.com. Hopefully we'll have here uh, a little bit more on the BWI live show for those of you that are are, are ravenous wrestling fans, because I know there's been a lot of people clamoring for more coverage here. So we want to make sure everyone's getting a little bit of what they want. That'll do it today for the BWI live show, though. Greg, thank you so much. This has been a great show. Appreciate you covering so much ground with me tonight. Yeah. Hey, always T. Frank. I uh, hope everyone has a good rest of the week. Spring break is almost over, even though it's only Tuesday night. And spring practice is almost here. Looking forward to it. And of course, BlueWhiteIllustrated.com, uh, Blue White Illustrated on YouTube, Blue White Illustrated on uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Space Chat, everything. Man, that sounded old. Uh, subscribe to it wherever you do podcasts. Love you guys. We'll talk to you later. Madness is here. 
Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York.